Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast, brought to you by the Amador Whiskey Company. I'm your co-host, Jeffrey the Greek, joined on Wednesdays by... This is Dustin Shooty. Dustin, you on Twitter? I am. I am at Shooty Dustin. And I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. Thank you so much for listening and downloading the podcast. Um, a lot of uh, war of words going on this week. Of course, what we're talking about is uh, the Tenderloin War that Dustin Shooty and I suddenly got in on Twitter this week. Nothing breaks the monotony uh, like a food fight. Um, anyways, long story short, for people that aren't on Twitter or people that are on Twitter and just avoided the the conversation. I don't even know where the original tweet came from, but it was something with a breaded tenderloin. It was a picture of a breaded tenderloin where the breaded tenderloin is like 10 times the size of the bun and basically said, this is how you eat tenderloins in Iowa. Then Dustin Schutte responded with. Uh, it's an Indiana thing. And hmm. I know where it came from. It was like Iowa mom or something like that was the Twitter account. Okay. And First of all, I just saw red. I just saw rage that Iowa was trying to claim this this pork tenderloin, this beautiful pork tenderloin that I grew up. Look, I've been gobbling down pork tenderloin since before I was born, right? Like <laughs> you cannot take my childhood away from me. And the thing that makes me I, I shouldn't say I'm sad. I'm not like actually mad at this, but I went to school at Manchester College, which is about 45 minute drive from Huntington, which is home to Nick's restaurant, the originator of the breaded pork tenderloin sandwich. And really, Huntington only has two things, Dan Quayle and the breaded pork tenderloin. And I'll be damned if you take one of them away from him, from, from the city of Huntington. <laughs> so when you said it originated, I, I did what most people do. I went on Wikipedia and literally searched breaded tenderloin. And it did bring up that place. It did say allegedly allegedly was the first one it's one of those folklore things where it's probably pretty difficult to prove who who's the first person to bread a tenderloin a pork tenderloin um the one thing i'd say i guess i would ask is this is what i feel in my gut if you uh pulled 25 dudes about my age and 25 dudes about your age and said when's the last time you enjoyed a pork tenderloin, assuming we're all from, you know, my guys are from Iowa and your guys are from Indiana. I personally believe the Iowa guys will pull higher for who most recently had a breaded tenderloin or, or would you fight that as well? Oh boy. I would, I think I would fight that because wow. it's a, it is a big deal in Indiana. Um, okay. And here's, here's another thing. I don't know. I I've not traveled a ton all over the country. I've been pretty much all over the East Coast and to the South and about Texas and Colorado. When I lived in Georgia, there was a specific food truck there. And the I don't remember the name of the food truck, but on the side of the truck, it said, uh, food truck of Indiana's famous breaded pork tenderloin sandwich. Wow. Wow. So Interesting. It's, it's a very big deal. Now, I mean, maybe it's more popular in Iowa now. I don't know. But I just know growing up in small town, farm, rural, rural Indiana, it was huge where I grew up. Okay. All right. So it, it was where I came from, too. My mom, of course, has a breaded tenderloin recipe. It is phenomenal. Uh, the ones that you would get 
at the restaurants looked just like that, where they were literally twice yeah. or three times the size of the bun. There was a place, and I don't know if it's still there, but it was in Solonai, which is just north of Iowa City called Jonesy's, and that's how they served it up. I worked for the Johnson County Secondary Road Department as a as a, just a joke of a college job during the summer, and we would go to Jonesy's like literally once a week to eat a Jonesy's tenderloin. So like, it's all there. And of course, me, you, and Kurt are DMing back and forth. For whatever reason, um, ketchup just doesn't – it isn't as good no. to me on the sandwich if you just go straight mustard and pickle. Oh, man, that's the way to do it. Oh, yeah. that's um, and I mean, I think there's different, too. If, I, if I'm having it in a sandwich, I go straight yellow mustard. If I'm, like, cutting it up, dipping it, I go spicy mustard. I don't know what bit. it is. I don't know if it's the bread, but – There's something with that. There is something with that. Anyways, we'll, uh, we'll maybe continue that fight <laughs> another day. <laughs> I don't know if we've got a straight – bothers my big this week uh uh ds and i just briefly talked offline before we sat down to record typically what we're talking about with the bothers my big is talking about the college football playoff and the rankings uh how it came out was georgia one ohio state two michigan three and tcu four color me shocked that they had tcu four and tennessee five uh, i see you put the arm up in the air that yeah. surprised you as well yeah, I was. I, I even went on multiple podcasts and shows, and I was adamant that Tennessee would be number four based on how far back TCU was. And the, Tennessee didn't look good at all against Georgia, but I thought that being a 14-point loss would have been good enough, quote-unquote, to stay in the top four. But I give the, the, the committee some credit because they, they put TCU in the top four. It's a week overdue, but, you know, it happened. And uh, I do have some other gripes now that I look at it a little bit more, but nothing too egregious. Yeah, I mean, my so then we got uh, Oregon at six and then LSU at seven. Now, of course, what ticks you off the most is the top uh, undefeated team, SEC team, the top one yeah. loss team, SEC team, the top two loss team, SEC team. It happens like that every freaking year. It is annoying beyond annoying. Um, I think LSU deserves to be perhaps the, the highest two-ranked team. I just think they should also be behind USC. I don't know why Oregon gets to go in front of LSU, but USC doesn't. I don't know what – I don't know exactly – like nothing Oregon and USC has done as far as resume builder is, is much different one to the other. Um, and, in fact, you could say that Oregon's loss was worse because they got the doors blown off them by the number one team, Georgia, whereas USC's loss was a last-second loss to Utah. So I don't know where they get that from moving LSU in front of USC, whatever. Um, now, one of the fun things that I was going to point out is, you know, if things kind of play out how we think they're going to play out, which is essentially I do think Georgia will run the table. Okay, I, I, That's what I think will happen. Um, the winner of Michigan, Ohio State moves up and, and solidifies their place as number two. Um, so that's your, your your one or your two. Then you start saying, okay, who's going to be three and four and who they're going to match up with. If things held chalky, then TCU would be three and Tennessee would be four. If, if by that situation you're dropping, you're going to move TCU up then it gets iffy, by the way, because then you've got Tennessee versus the Michigan-Ohio State loser. In this case, I think they would screw the Big Ten team because that's what that's what uh, uh, history tells us. In that case, you would have number one Georgia versus number four Tennessee in a rematch, and then the Michigan-Ohio State winner playing TCU, 
if I am a Michigan Ohio State person, I would sign up for if we win the game at the end of the season, that that's who your matchup is. I, I would sign up for that right now if I was either a Michigan or Ohio State fan. I would too, but it's not going to happen. There's nope. no chance they're going to pit the two SEC teams in the semifinal round. And by the way, this is what frustrates me to no end. Can we just like these? Um, it's almost like a quarterfinal matchup. Ohio State, Michigan. I hate when a team can backpedal its way into a college football playoff when they don't have to play in their conference championship game. Ohio State did it in 2006 in 2016 because Penn State went on to win the, the conference championship. Alabama it was either 17 or 18. I can't remember which year it was. They snuck in and they didn't have to play in the in their in the SEC championship game. I it just doesn't sit right with me. Like I know that losses come at different points in the season, but if you don't win your division, do you in a four-team format, should you have the opportunity to compete for a national championship? I don't know, man. It's hard for me to get behind that, especially when, as you said, there's no – like Tennessee's at number five so they can backpedal in there. Michigan and Ohio State are not going to have that same luxury. Yeah. No, I'm with you there, and obviously we're on the same page that I want it to be all conference winners. Another way to mix up a little bit of what I just did was with Oregon sitting there at six, if they happen to win out, I think you could put USC in there as well. Now you have got an SEC winner, a Pac-12 winner, a Big Ten winner, and a Big 12 winner. I would love that, okay? Like, mix it up four different... I don't I don't know. Like, I off the top of my head, I don't feel like we've had four different conferences in there. Or if we have, it's been a long time. Like, I guess we had Florida State. We had Florida State... Oregon, Oregon. Uh, Ohio State, Ohio Alabama. State, Alabama. So that was 2014. I mean, that was the initial year, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, it, yeah. I, I can't do this off the top of my head. I just don't remember there being not being two SEC teams. It is basically how it works out. Um, yeah, there would probably be some years, maybe when Notre Dame and Oklahoma were in there. There you go. There you Washington go. Washington was in one year. Washington was um, in one year. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look off the top of my head because I don't remember. Here's what scares me though is. I shouldn't say scares me, um, but LSU at number seven, man, I feel like they at two losses, this committee is giving them a chance at getting in. I'm afraid if of that they too. win. The, if, and, and I think it was in, I think it was after the first college football playoff rankings. Now these blur together. Cause I usually am watching them in a blind rage. So forgive me <laughs> if I have them mixed up here, but there was the, the boo Kerrigan or Corrigan, whatever his name is, uh, Made he's like you can't like that first loss against Florida State was a fluke you can't really count that and I'm like then why the hell do we did you play the right, game right like, the the point of the playoff was to make sure that games counted from week z from week zero all the way to week whatever 15 yep. 16 conference championship week you can't just because they lost on a fluke play dismiss yep. that loss it's, yep. and if they are are you going to dismiss the the Illinois loss to Indiana because they got screwed out of a touchdown at one point in that game, which was probably detrimental to their uh, record, they could be eight and one. So where do you draw the line there? And and expanding upon that, our friend of the pod, uh, uh, Braden Gull, was getting torched this week by a lot of Eyes on Big listeners, Perk and Soup and some of the other guys, because basically he had Alabama in front of TCU. That is a two-loss oh, Alabama team in front of a zero-loss TCU. Now, for me, I will say Alabama's schedule has been a little bit tougher, but not so much tougher that losing two games keeps you in front of an undefeated power five 
team. That that is ridiculous. Like wins and losses have got to matter at some point. So I would expand upon that. You know, that's how I would expand upon that with what you're saying there. Like, and and I like when I talk about how it would be fun to have four conference winners in the college football playoff. Like, I feel like that's most of the college football fans that that feel like that. But there's always some nutty ones, I guess, that yeah. feel different. But like to me, that just makes for a more compelling college football playoff. I agree. And to the, so to that point, I'll say this about the two loss LSU. If they were to win the SEC, if that was the format, totally fine with two losses. And But if you're including only conference champions, totally fine with, with that. But this format where it's not really a playoff, it's more of an invitational. That's where I – that's George, the, the losses have to matter at that point. Correct. And Georgia's in. That's what we're saying right, right now. Look at right. Georgia's schedule. They are not going to lose another game the rest of the year unless they lose in the SEC championship. Even if they lose that game, they are in. Sure. So basically yeah. what I'm saying, and I think you're saying, and a, but most of the Big Ten fans listen to this podcast, I'm cheering for Georgia here on out. Get them into yeah. the playoff with a 13-0 record that will knock out anybody from the West. The only team in the SEC that allows the potential of going in is Tennessee. However, how about this? Georgia, Tennessee, Ohio State, and Michigan yes. are the four teams in the playoffs where both semifinal games are Big Ten versus SEC. Now, I know I'm going to talk on famous eyes on big saying, right? I'm going to talk out of two sides of my mouth because I do want four different conference uh, uh, representatives. However, if we don't get that, having two Big Ten teams and two SEC teams would be an extremely compelling close second place. You might actually see some internet fistfights, but among those four fan bases too, if that if that actually happens. Like let's say let's say Ohio State won, so Georgia's one and Ohio State is two. If the matchups there are Ohio State, I in some capacity, this is what I would like. I would like it if it was. Georgia versus Ohio State and Michigan versus Tennessee. Oh, see, would be... I would go the other way. Oh, uh, really? Because we just yes. saw Michigan. We did. Georgia I agree. Last year. I agree. I, I would, but no, here's what I'm saying. I would rather see the SEC play each other, the two SEC East teams mm. and the two Big Ten East teams. So that way in the national championship game, you get SEC Big Ten. That's what I would prefer. Interesting. I. Well, uh, here I would like to hear from you people on Twitter on where you would come down on that because th- that I mean I, I will say it definitely and, gives it definitely gives us a, a conference or a, B, a, a college football playoff championship where it's not two two teams yes. from the same kind. So I I very much very much like that, but man, that first round is it's just too much fun to think about. Plus that if it's the matchup that I like, I love how Michigan matches up versus Tennessee and I like Ohio State matches up versus Georgia I just think those would be incredible games one last correction I had you said the SEC had the highest ranked zero loss one loss and two loss team also the highest ranked three loss team with Texas sneaking in there at 18 (laughs) (laughs) nice job nice job and the Big Ten has a lot of teams up in the top 11 with USC and UCLA being. Oh, no, yes. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even more US or SEC and Big Ten dominance. All right. Should we move on to the actual football games? Let's do it. All right. All 14 teams are in action. Seven games. Zero teams are idle. Every game is on Saturday, November 12th. Again, for people taking these picks as advice, 
check your local weather for the football games. They obviously played a ginormous part of the football contest uh, last week when I put out my weekly Friday noon tweet with my picks. Uh, I put a weather disclaimer underneath them because I felt like it was that important. Doesn't seem to be that bad this weekend, but still something to keep an eye out on. First game up, the three and six Indiana Hoosiers at the number two ranked nine and oh Ohio State Buckeyes. This is an 11 o'clock a.m. game on Fox line Buckeyes by 40 over under 58. So Vegas is saying something like 49 to nine Buckeyes. Interesting with that 40-point line because that's more than they were favored versus Northwestern last week. Now, that was on the (laughs) road, but I got to say, if we're going to start talking about Indiana, not a good sign on how the odds makers feel about the current state of the Hoosiers. Dear God, hide the women and children uh, because I think this one is going to get ugly for two reasons, and I don't know that you really, really need to go too much deeper into the specific CXs and O's of this. Number one, it looked like to me Indiana gave up last week against Penn State. I think for most of the season, outside of that Cincinnati game, you could say that Indiana wasn't good, but they never really gave up. They were in games. They had chances to tie or win late in the game. You didn't see that against Penn State. And by the way, when Jack Tuttle went down, not one single Indiana player took a knee when he was injured. Uh, thought that was very interesting, uh, considering the circumstances there. The other factor is Ohio State, even though they're number two, had to read all the headlines about they only beat Northwestern by 14 points. I think they're going to be out for blood. I think Ryan Day wants to get his offense in rhythm, prove that they can put up 50 points, and Indiana's pass defense is terrible. So, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) We could could talk more about it, but obviously, but um, those are the two reasons why I think this one could get really ugly really fast. Yeah, things are looking bleak in Bloomington is what I got, and uh, they're known for their nursing school. Might want to have as many nurses as possible uh, around the football field uh, soon. I know it's in a horseshoe, but don't get me wrong. need some tourniquets. (laughs) But in the end, I mean, I don't know. Find something find something positive find some young guys to play i know we say that a lot i'm sorry who's your fans there's just not much to go off of tommy allen is taking in water he and at the same time it's got all kinds of heat applied to him i don't know what else to say with ohio state you kind of already hit on it like you do get the feeling that ohio state fans uh ryan day the players are frustrated that they haven't been able to put together a really awesome performance for a couple weeks now um, you know, this prediction here is 49 to nine by Vegas, uh, which means they need to get into the fifties in order to cover probably is what they're saying. They've only scored 50 three times so far this season. Only I put that in parentheses, 77 versus Toledo. Uh, uh, and then 52 versus Wisconsin, 54 versus Iowa. Uh, coincidentally, two of the probably better defenses they played, obviously the offense has played into that, but it sure seems like, but the other thing I'd point out Toledo, Wisconsin, Iowa, all at home. And they're playing this game at home. I looked up the weather. It's not perfect, but 40 ish, you know, not too bad of wins. I think Ohio state is getting a few guys back. Indiana just does not look like they've got a lot of fight in them. So I don't love it, but I've got Ohio state 52 Indiana seven. So that's just a, a little bit of an Ohio State cover. And at 59 points, I got it just going over that game total. Ooh, 
I we have almost the same score. I think Indiana gets a late touchdown, though. I have Ohio State 52, Indiana 14. So that's technically an Indiana cover, and that's a big over. Wow. Okay. So squeeze it in a late touchdown is what you got for the difference. Yeah. Next game up, the four and five Rutgers Scarlet Knights at the four and five Michigan State Spartans, 11 o'clock a.m. game on Big Ten Network, line Sparty by nine and a half. This has been moving towards Rutgers this week. Game total is 40.5. So Vegas is saying something like a 24 to 14 Michigan State win. So here's the deal. I mean, there's a little bit of Spider-Man Mimi going on here where they're both four and five. They both need this win and they both got Penn State left on their schedule. So whoever wins this game looking decent to get into a bowl, whoever loses it suddenly looking awful to get into the bowl. Me thinks you're going to get a big fight out of, out of both of these teams. Yeah, and I mean, I think we saw that Michigan State's defense last week looked a lot better than what we saw last season, which is kind of surprising. And it, it to me, that those are the kind of games that always interest me because when you have some of your top defensive players go out or e- even offensive, that gives some of those other guys that don't get on the field as much a chance to kind of go out and show what they can do. And I think that those Michigan State guys took advantage of having, you know, having that yeah. opportunity. And you saw that against one of the better offensive teams in the big 10 this season is, I mean, did a great job against chase Brown, taking away the pass with Tommy DeVito. And so I have a little bit of a, a, a renewed sense of um, uh, what's the word optimism as it surrounds Sparty. Maybe they use that, that tunnel vision as an opportunity to kind of grow and say, uh, you know, that we can't have this. We're getting embarrassed on the field. We gotta, we gotta clean some things up. And the thing I really like about this too, is Rutgers, their defense is really good, but their offense in the second half of games cannot move the football. They do okay. It's kind of like the Mike Loxley effect on a, on a, on a smaller scale. Those first couple drives, it feels like they can dial some stuff up. But then as the this game wears on, their offense just runs out of gas. Teams figure out what they're doing. I, I think Michigan State's defense is going to be able to keep Rutgers in check. They're going to have to get creative, in my opinion, not just in the first half, but in the second half if they want to, if they want to win. But – Shiano team, they always fight. Uh, interesting that you use the term tunnel vision with Michigan nope. State, seeing that as how they – Oh, that was – okay. <laughs> you didn't emphasize it enough. I couldn't tell <laughs> if that was sarcasm. Or, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, you hit on a lot of the stuff that that I was looking at. Like, obviously getting in to start the year, Michigan State wasn't just hoping to get to a bowl, right? right. So it's weird because I feel like maybe Rutgers has a – more of a goal to get to a bowl game than Michigan State does. I, I don't know if I, that's very well explained, but like it's still a little bit of a letdown feeling for Michigan State. They lost to Michigan. They're they're just fighting to get to a bowl. Whereas at the beginning of the year, Rutgers might have signed up to be in this position right now, four and five with a definite chance to get there. I don't know. I don't know if that plays in to the team psyche. Probably helps that Michigan State had a big win last week and they get to play at home. So I do think that is a big stub uh, or, or a big part of this. Um, Rutgers needs to do the game plan that they had last week. Play good defense, have a, you know, have some good scripted plays. Avoid the turnovers though, man. I mean, that is just so anti Shiano. And I know they're trying to play Wimsat. Keep playing Wimsat. I get it, but you have got to get through to that dude. 
to make sure that he is not putting the ball in harm's way. Like if they can do that, they will hang with Michigan state. This is not a great Michigan state team, you know, on the other side, I think, I do think Michigan state's defense is playing better because of Slade. He, he has been back. He is a huge part of that defense. He's kind of like Keanu Benton for, for Wisconsin. He's still playing. There is a little bit more, uh, pop there on offense than there seemed to have been for a couple weeks with the passing game and stuff like that. So I, I do think this this will be a good game. I'm I'm kind of predicting that it'll be somewhat tighter than maybe I don't know some decent so a lot of people think it'll be. I think it will be too. Um, I just Michigan State to me doesn't have that power or that that um, explosiveness to really pull away, especially against a defense like Rutgers, because I think as much as they've struggled here since those first three non-conference games, I still think they have a solid defense, but man, it's hard. You, I don't want to make comparisons here, so I'm not going to, but when your offense can't really move the football, it wears in your defense. And that's not just over the course of the game. It's over the course of the season. So um, I, I don't know. This is I think this is underratedly going to be one of the yep. one of the better matchups in terms of just football start to finish. Both these teams like you mentioned, these both these head coaches are incredibly intense. I'd almost like to see these guys in the middle of a ring. Um so this is going to be a fun one. Uh if you want I can I can go ahead and give you my pick for ready yep. for that. Yep. I've got Michigan State 24 Rutgers 16. So that's a Rutgers cover and at 40 that's an under. <laughs> Insane. I have got Michigan State 23, Rutgers 17. So that is just barely under a half a point under. It is a Rutgers cover. We're seeing the same thing. I mean, it is moving towards Rutgers, this line. I thought for sure this line would open up like 45 or 47, and I was going to nail the under hard. Damn yeah. it, freaking desert people <laughs> snitch it out again. So that it's just they're tough everywhere this week. The Eyes on Big Podcast is sponsored by the Amador Whiskey Company. Our unique process takes the highest quality Kentucky bourbon and finishes in California wine barrels. This double barrel agent technique creates unique characteristics in each barrel that produce one-of-a-kind whiskeys. Amador is made to be sip neat or is perfect for classic bourbon cocktails. Just like your favorite go-to Big Ten podcast, Amador is the go-to whiskey this football season. Don't forget to hashtag ask for Amador and check out our new website and finder options so you can see where Amador is at near you at www.amadorwhiskeyco.com. Amador whiskey born in kentucky raised in california moving in to the afternoon the five and four wisconsin badgers at the five and four iowa hawkeyes this is a 2 30 p.m game on fs1 line badgers by one and a half over under 35 so vegas is saying something like a 19 to 18 badgers win uh, some people might feel like this game would be rightfully played in the year 1918. So that's kind of ironic. Uh, this is the battle for the Heartland Trophy, uh, which is the Heartland Trophy is a big bull uh, that used to have balls on the bull, but they have <laughs> they have removed the balls. They they have no balls. Read into that what you will. Um, so here's the deal: more similarities, right? Iowa and Wisconsin get compared all the time. So both started off rough, uh, out of conference loss that people didn't see coming necessarily. Uh, both got beat up really bad by Ohio State. Both beat Purdue up pretty bad. Both got beat by Illinois. Both beat Northwestern pretty bad. And both have Minnesota and Nebraska left on the schedule. 
it gets i mean it, it, it these this is about as spider-man meme as even iowa and wisconsin have been the spider-man meme in a long time yeah and the thing i like about i mean this this game who would have thought just two maybe three weeks ago you would have thought this game had implications for the Big Ten West. But these two teams now, I mean, Indianapolis is not out of reach for either team. It's crazy. The thing I've really liked about Iowa the last two weeks, and I said this on the last podcast too, was I thought against Purdue, Spencer Petras, having some confidence and, and success against Northwestern, I thought he would be able to throw the ball against Purdue's pass defense. So I think a lot of quarterback play is confidence. And I think you're starting to see a little bit of that confidence come about. So I have a little bit more faith in the Iowa offense now than I had a few weeks ago. Obviously, the run game is getting a lot better. I think maybe they've found something. It just took a little while to gel. On the other side, Wisconsin's run game has also found some success with Braylon Allen. I think he's rushed for over 100 yards in each of his last four games. And I looked at the stats in the last... Maybe it's the last three games, but the last three games, Iowa hasn't even allowed 175 rushing yards combined for their last three opponents. So this is this is to me going to be strength on strength. I mean, Wisconsin secondary really good at forcing turnovers, but I think Iowa's offense is getting better. To me, this comes down to because I think it's going to be strength on strength on strength. I think the game is going to be coming down to which Graham Mertz shows up. Yes. Um, lots of stuff. Okay. Let me, let me, let me unpack a few things. First of all, it's going to come down to running the ball. This is a great Scott Docterman uh, stat dig that he uses every year and he's going to keep using it because it's going to keep making sense for this series in since 1999, since Kirk Ferentz took over Iowa, the team that has won the rushing attack has won 19 of 21 games. And and one wow. of and one of those games was a one yard differential, and I think the other one was like seventeen yards or something oh like my that. God. So essentially, he who rushes <laughs> the ball wins the game in in during Iowa and Wisconsin. Here's another funny thing: battle of the eighteen year old running backs, Caleb Johnson, a true freshman, eighteen year old, agent zero. Uh, uh, as as we know now, seventeen last year, eighteen this yep. year. So. Both teams need their squad to run the ball. Both are relying on an 18-year-old to do it. Obviously, in Wisconsin's case, he's been there forever. Don't get me wrong. So it's, it's, it's a little bit different deal. But Iowa has found something with Caleb Johnson. He has been he, he's been incredible. Like he's he's grown on me. Certainly a 200 yard day will do that uh for any fan. But that that's where it's at. It is is who can run the ball. Uh the one the little differences I would say is. You know, typically it's Wisconsin coming into this game that just has the incredible defense. Like, just it's hard to put the success of their defense into words. This year, Iowa does. I, I just think Iowa is better. Now, the Wisconsin defense has looked much better the last couple weeks, but that's gone against Northwestern and a Maryland team that literally had to play left-handed because there was nobody throwing the ball last week in those conditions. So like as good as the, as, as Wisconsin has looked, don't get me wrong. The defense has improved. I, I don't know if it's quite up to the level of Iowa's defense just yet. Well, I, I don't disagree with that. And so that to me is, I didn't know that stat about the rushing. That's, that's an insane, insane. statistic over a long period of time. But to me, that's why 
I this this might sound dumb given what we saw. I you can throw this out the window though against the Ohio State. I almost trust Spencer Petrus to take care of the football a little bit more because I know that Graham Mertz at times can be erratic. Like he's got a little bit of that Sean Clifford in him. So that's why to me, obviously the ground game is going to be important. Defense is going to be important. But if Wisconsin, if Mertz can minimize those mistakes, not throw an interception, that's why I really that, that's where I would lean towards Wisconsin in this game. If if I was able to turn him over, to me, I think they've got enough on their offense where it would be game over. If he yeah. protects the football and just hits some of his some of his targets and, and makes that a true weapon for them at times, that's where I think the advantage might shift back to Wisconsin. Yeah, one of the notes I have is that I trust Mertz more to make a play against Iowa's defense than I trust Petrus to make a good play versus Wisconsin's defense. I know I just talked up Iowa's defense, but I'm also calling this how I see it. You know, DK and Bell, they have been better at wide receiver this year for Wisconsin than hardly anybody is paying attention to. Paying attention to. Wisconsin doesn't have much for tight ends to throw at. Iowa's opposite there. That's where their strength is at for the throw game. But those guys on the outside have been making plays. If Mertz can get out on the consistent and kind of make plays with his legs or make plays with his legs by throwing the ball down the field. That's how Wisconsin manufactures points in this game and beats Iowa. On the other hand, I think Spencer Petras will make less big mistakes in the game right. that Mertz is capable of. In my mind, that's where this game is won or lost is, is in the ledger in the ledgers with turnovers and special teams. I think that's going to be, essentially along with the rushing total, which I think is going to be very close by the way. Uh, yeah. That's where this game is going to be won. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, to me, this is, this is going to be so interesting because I think on the season through nine games, I would trust Wisconsin's offense just a little bit more from start to finish. But like I said, I always found something. Spencer Petrus is playing with a little bit more confidence. It's going to be interesting because this is in front of a home crowd. And, and sometimes sometimes you play a little bit more tense when there's the booze might be coming in and you can play a little bit freer on the road. I, this is a really intriguing – I'm glad this is a 3.30 game because it's going to have some of those night night feels inside Kinnick. It's going to be a really fun game. So, yeah, I, I don't know if I have much else to add. It's, Go for it. To me, I think the quarterback play is going to be interesting. But I have – Wisconsin 20, Iowa 17. So that's a Wisconsin cover. And at 37, it's a very slight over. I think we're seeing pretty much the same game here. Uh, I don't know if this is a homer pick or not. It's very hard for me to pull my Iowa-ness out of this, but sure. I'm just going to trust that Iowa's defense is a little bit special this year, that Wisconsin's offense has struggled when it's gone against the better defenses. The Wisconsin offense has looked better against not so good defenses. Iowa is a little bit more battle tested in that capacity playing Ohio State, Michigan, Iowa State, you know, like just more of those types of games. So I think and playing at home, we get a little bit of night kinnick out of this. I'll be there. Um I I've got Iowa 16, Wisconsin 13. So at 29 points, that's that's comfortably under by six points, which is crazy with the 35-point spread. Uh, so that's what I got. It's crazy with this game. Huge difference. After this game, one team is going to be six and four, still in the Big Ten West hunt. The other team is going to be 500. I mean, that is how razor thin the margin is with these type of Big Ten West matchups. All right, next game up, the three and six Nebraska Cornhuskers at the nine and oh. 
Number three ranked Michigan Wolverines, 2.30 p.m. game on ABC line, Michigan by 31 over under 48.5. So Vegas is saying something like 40 to 10, 40 to 9 Michigan. Uh, The last time, just kind of throw this out, the last time Nebraska was shut out was in 1996 versus Arizona State. So would that potentially be a streak that could come to end for Nebraska? Because the question is, okay, who's playing quarterback? And if it's not Thompson, who's playing quarterback? (laughs) Like we, we don't know. It's, it's one of of three uh, going on the road to play this Michigan defense in that environment. I mean, it's, it's some scary stuff for, for Nebraska fans. It is very frightening, but also a factor in this one is going to be, does Michigan want to avoid the Husker Hex? Maybe maybe Jim Harbaugh thinks ahead here because they got Illinois lurking next week. What do you do here? Do you win the game and, and improve to 9-0 and and risk being cursed for a week? Or do you drop this game so you can and, potentially win your final two? I mean, it's just crazy. Uh, Northwestern beats Nebraska 0-8 since then. Georgia Southern beats Nebraska three and four since then. Oklahoma beats Nebraska two and four since then. Purdue needs beats Nebraska oh and two since then. Illinois beats Nebraska, turns right around and loses to Michigan State. This hacks curse, whatever you want to call it, it's getting out of hand, man. It's getting freaking scary for anybody that play. There's no good option if you play Nebraska no. right now. You just you just don't want to see Nebraska on your schedule. No, you don't. Uh, and it's it's crazy because I think immediately the week after the team loses too, their opponent loses. Like it's it's insane how this has worked out. So yeah, yeah. um but from a from a purely football perspective, <laughs> okay, the reason I I'm gonna just address the shutout. I don't think it happens. No for whatever reason, I don't think Michigan doesn't how do I want to phrase this? Michigan just wears you down. They're like Floyd Mayweather, right? Like they're not playing they're not going after the offensive and trying to knock you out in the first round. They'll go 12 rounds and they'll be just as fresh in the final five minutes as they were in the first five minutes. So I do think whoever plays quarterback for Nebraska, I, I think that that staff, Mark Whipple, the cool whip, as big Kurt likes to say, I think he can dial some things up early. Now I'm not saying they're going to get out to a lead, but I think they might be able to score some points in the first half of this game. And then the second half is where I see things just like it's been the the MO for Michigan all season. That's where Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, that's where those guys just ground and pound you to death and and start to pull away. Yeah. The joke I was thinking is uh, the Michigan that we expect to see is the, is the Michigan that we see every single week. So you know how NE is short for Nebraska and NE is short for new England. I think Michigan could play, the Huskers or the Patriots, and they would come out with the exact same game plan and look the exact same. Yes. Like that's just, that's just, I'm mostly joking with that. I was like, but that's just who Michigan is that. And you are, and you nailed it. Like I, I doubt, I doubt JJ McCarthy has 200 yards passing. He probably has 186 yard passing two touchdowns, 40 yards on the ground. They have another 200 some yards on the ground from their running backs that's just what they do, and that's all they need to do. And I don't think that that Harbs is the type of guy that's going to just lay into him. I don't think he really cares. And then they just get on w- with the game, get guys, other guys in there, and move on. With Nebraska, though, 
I don't think Casey Thompson is playing. It does, it does not look no. good that Casey Thompson is back. So I personally believe it'll be Logan Smothers. I also am going off of the comments that Mickey Joseph made this week where it's loud and clear and they're going to get into Cool Whip's head and say, we need to give the ball to Anthony Grant, our pretty darn talented run back, running back. So between Grant and Smothers and a little bit Purdy too, I think Purdy will play and he's yeah. good with his legs. I think they're going to beat it into Smothers and Purdy's head to run the ball, don't force the ball into bad situations, which I think is going to shorten down this game. And this game is going to be starting at 2.30. It's going to be a contest between Michigan and Nebraska and Iowa and Wisconsin, which game is going to get over the quickest. Like these are going to be fast games. <laughs> and, so, and this yes. one's going to be quick as well. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I it, this is, to me, again, I think for, if you're Nebraska, get some, we said this with Indiana, get some young guys in there, get them some experience, don't get hurt, try to take advantage of the situation. I, I mean, I don't really know what else to say. Because yep. this is, like you said, there's almost nothing to talk about with Michigan each week because we know exactly what they're going to do, right? Right. So, um, with that, I've got Michigan 38, Nebraska 14. That's a Nebraska cover, and at 52, that's a slight over. I swear to God, folks, we do not look at our picks until we release them when we're recording the pod. I have got Michigan 38, Nebraska 13. So that is a Nebraska cover at 51 points. I just got it over, and Nebraska plus 31 is my Amador double barrel. Lock of the week. That's pretty crazy, Dustin. One point off. Yeah. Next up, the six and three Maryland Terrapins at the seven and two number 14 ranked Penn State Nittany Lions, 2.30 p.m. game. All these games, 11 and 2.30. Very annoying. Not one night yes. game. Not one night game. Come on. I, what, I what, when I does the world end in November in Big Ten country? 2.30 <sighs> p.m. game on Fox. Line Nittany Lions by 10. This is also slightly, ever so slightly move towards Maryland. Uh, this is an over-under of 59. So Vegas is saying something like a 34 to 24 Nittany Lions win. Penn State has a robust 41-3 and 1 advantage in this series. That's right. 41-3 and 1. Between 1962 and 93, they did not lose a game in the in this series. Oof. And then uh they, but there was one year in 80 three or 84 they just didn't play the game for whatever reason uh took the took the the series off now they've been playing in the big 10 uh since then but long story short um this is not a rivalry game from penn state fans point of view um when you see those records that i just let uh read off it kind of makes you understand why penn state fans don't view it as a rivalry on the other hand maryland wants this to become a rivalry at least much more competitive this does look like the type of game that could lend itself to being kind of a butt clenchy game for penn state and their fans yeah and uh, to that point i feel like mike loxley said maybe his first year that we haven't earned the right to call this a rivalry game i think that was a lox somebody on maryland's staff said that at some point in the past five or six years but anyway first of all issue an apology to james Franklin, uh, I was notorious at saying that Penn State does not play well after they lose a game. Um, he's pretty much slammed the door. They've scored 45 points against Minnesota in a win after a loss. They scored 45 points against Indiana in a game after a loss. So this team, to me, I think is pretty darn good. Um, yeah, th this is – I would feel better about this being 
more butt clenchy if it was maybe in College Park. But having said that, I still think Maryland, with the receivers that they have, I think they can test Penn State's secondary. I think they can test the uh, the defensive backs. I think Mike Loxley's going to take some shots in this game. This is look Maryland's six and three. They're out of the Big Ten East race. Take your shots. You got they've got nothing to lose. They're playing with house money at this point. Take some shots down the field. I still think that even though they didn't run the ball very effectively last week against Wisconsin, I think Penn State's run defense is pretty good, but I think there will be some more available yards. I think they'll be able to mix it up a little bit more where they can hit those. Like you said, take your YOLO shots in this game and test Penn State's secondary. Uh, that's what's going to be able to keep this game close for Maryland. Yeah, I I, I got YOLO. I, I didn't say YOLO. Thanks for giving <laughs> my uh, uh, favorite word of the year. Uh, but I do have something to the effect of no, nothing holding you back now. Like I think we've kind of been waiting for the passing attack to, to go nuclear at some point. Wow. I mean, I get it. They couldn't do it last week. Wisconsin in those in those game conditions throughout the Northwestern game because of the injury to the quarterback. But even against Purdue, I don't know. It wasn't as crazy of a passing attack that you maybe would expect out of Maryland. Now's the time, man. I mean, now is the time to just to just hammer it down and see what happens. Yes, I know it's going against a very uh, uh, um, highly rated Penn State secondary. They deserve to be highly rated. I'm just saying that's your strength. Go for it. I'm not saying you don't run the ball at all, but it just seems like that's what it would be because this is the way to salvage the season. Like Maryland fans had really big things in their head going into this game. Maybe they only thought they would have one loss, you know, Michigan or something like that going into this game at three losses, a little bit under what they thought. Um, They still got Ohio state next week. So, you know, that's another tough matchup that's coming up for Maryland. So go for it, man. I don't know what else to say. Uh, with Penn State, um, they've had some shuffling on the offensive line. They've had injuries there. No issues last week versus Indiana. I would have thought a couple, three, four weeks ago that would cause issues for Penn State. But look at how Maryland has looked on defense. Like I feel yeah. like they've gotten 5% worse on defense the last six weeks. I, I, you know, I know competition plays into that. Don't get me wrong, but like, it, it just seems to be kind of unraveling on the defense. And then in comes two hot running backs for Penn State. One would think they're going to run their, their super freshman running backs right at Maryland all day long. Yeah, I mean, I was just going to bring up that in the last two games against Northwestern and Wisconsin, those two teams ran the ball 92 times and just an eyelash under under 500 total yards, four touchdowns in those two games. This run defense has not looked good. The last two games, I think here's a bold prediction before I give you the score. I think both Nick Singleton and Katron Allen both go for 100 yards in this game wow. because I yeah. think that James Franklin is you can depend on Sean Clifford, but I don't think he's going to put him in situations. Maryland's good enough where they can take advantage if they force some turnovers. So get the ball to your two really good running backs. Make Maryland's defense prove they can stop you. And I just don't think they're going to be able to do that. Yeah, and, and it's not like Penn State doesn't have some weapons. You know, they've got a couple good receivers. Brenton right. Strange, I think I've called him Brendan Strange before. He's been looking good at tight end. So they can go pop some plays in the passing game when they want. I would think the biggest thing that you'd be nervous about for Penn State is just getting down, you know, 10 nothing or something like that right. in this game because then it it, it does bring the, the butt clenchy to it. Like there's some games 
that are big games if you win. Then there's some games that are big games only if you lose. This is one of those that latter game or example for 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 Penn State. So do what you got to do to win this game. I do think this is going to get sweaty, but you got to get the win. Keep a 11 win New York Six bowl bid alive by winning this game. I think they will. I just think it's going to be a tough one. I've got Penn State 30, Maryland 24. Uh, so that is a Maryland cover. And at 54 points, I have this going under. I have an extra touchdown for the Nittany Lions. I've got Penn State 37, Maryland 24. So that's a Penn State cover. And at 61, that is an over. <laughs> Crazy. I mean, it's just so funny because like you're just you're you're predicting one more score. But in that score, it switches to a cover to Penn State and the over. Right. It's just, that's just how tight <laughs> these lines are. Next up, the one and eight Northwestern Wildcats coming into Minnesota to take on the six and three Golden Gophers. This is a 2.30 p.m. game on BTN line. Gophers by 17 and a hook over under 40.5. So Vegas is saying 28 to 10 Gophers. What are we looking at here? Uh, Greek, who did Minnesota beat last week? Uh-oh, Nebraska. <laughs> Is it, and they had to come from behind to beat them. I don't know if that makes the curse stronger or less strong. That's, that's, it's tough. That's, yes, that is a good, that's a great question. And it was the first time, I believe, under PJ Fleck, or there was a, I don't know if it was just, yeah, PJ I think Fleck it's the first time a, they, they've been down 10 points or more and came back and won. Yes. Oh, so, I think that's going to, uh, that's going to piss off the Nebraska Hex gods even a little bit more. Oh my God, it's going to follow. But here's the thing. Can I, let me say this to to not really tie into any football thing whatsoever would would it piss nebraska fans off anymore could like pj fleck would be the one coach to break that streak and then nebraska fans would be furious that it was pj fleck to break Boy, that streak i heard from more than one nebraska fans they were you know predictably not not happy with last week's outcome but i hear you there um looking at this game uh i mean i i the game that i think of that this is getting compared to is Minnesota Rutgers. And is there a gopher line that we kind of talked about where if the team playing Minnesota doesn't have enough fight on both sides of the ball, Minnesota just overpowers them and, and takes them down. Another game to look at would be Iowa Northwestern. I don't think there's much difference between Iowa and Minnesota, obviously the same Northwestern uh, team, Iowa kind of motored and ran right down Northwestern's throat. That is what Vegas is looking at here. It, it, that's what makes this intriguing is, I guess, the Nebraska hex. And then it, is that too, is that too many points for Minnesota cover? Or, or do they kind of look like the last couple teams that played them? Yeah. Th to me, this is going to be kind of a, what I see happening realistically, because I'll get to my score here in a little bit. Realistically, this seems to me like a game – I guess maybe a little bit like the Rutgers, but this feels like a game where Minnesota is going to take their time with the ball, score a touchdown with five minutes left in the first quarter. Then they're going to ho-hum it and score another touchdown in the second quarter. Then they'll get another one in the third. Like, it just seems like it's going to be very slow, very methodical, grind the clock, get out of there, get your win and move on. So I do, I feel like it was a little bit more of a fast pace. They, they were able to put up some points in that Rutgers game, but I don't, this just feels like, Slow, methodical, PJ football, possess a football, run it down their throat, only throw it when you have to. Um, that, that's just kind of the game I see. That's the game everybody sees. And, you know, to talk about Northwestern, there's not much to talk about Northwestern. I'm sorry. Again, 
build some some depth and and experience going into next year. You're not making a bowl. Get younger guys some reps as long as they don't mind burning their red shirt and seeing what happens in the hopes that you get a win. Why would you get a win? Well, because Minnesota isn't exactly dominant. They don't, you know, throw the ball down the field to the level of just pulling away from this game, one would think. And it's a little bit of a look at sandwich. I mean, Minnesota's got Iowa on deck. They hate Iowa. Maybe they catch him napping. Maybe this is the PJ home game where yeah. it seems like everybody inside the bank is just sleeping. That could be the potential, but I need all of those things to kind of happen. Uh, for Minnesota or for Northwestern to pull it out. I'm going to go against the Hex, I guess, but I want to be – so I've got Minnesota 26, Northwestern 10. So that is a point-and-a-half cover. That is my way of saying I don't like this spread one way or the other, but I will take Northwestern and, and the points. And at 36 points, that's an under. I'm buying into the Hex. This is going to be an ugly game. Sorry, Peach. Sorry, Minnesota. There's absolutely nothing that goes into this other than the Hex. Northwestern 13, Minnesota 11. To Northwestern cover and at 24, that is a very healthy under. Oh, man. You 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 kind of teased it a little bit. I didn't think you were going to go through with it, but wow. And, and honestly, like, I don't see that happening, but would it be that crazy? I mean, would 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 the... Well, I don't know. This it, is, we've, we've seen this, that type of stuff happen, I guess. This, this is part of it that, that Northwestern does play. Sometimes they've played some opponents with some confidence. And then on top of that, we haven't, PJ really hasn't had that really bad game yet. And you just kind of wait for it. So, yep. Oh. Yep. Yep. All right. Next game up, our last game to break down the big 10 game of the week, getting 50% of the 891 votes. This started out Iowa and Wisconsin. And then, uh, Purdue and Illinois came all the way from behind to make the Big Ten game of the week, as it should be. I do think this is the most compelling game on the sheet this week. The five and four Purdue Boilermakers at the seven and two, number 21 ranked Illinois fighting a line eye. This is an 11 o'clock a.m. game on ESPN2, line Illinois by six and a half over under 44.5. So Vegas is saying 26 to 19 fighting a line eye. This is the quasi de facto Big Ten West championship. Um, if Illinois wins this game, they are not a lock, uh, not a lock, but very much in the driver's seat to get to Indianapolis. If Purdue wins, suddenly we've got some craziness happen here where let's say this goes down as I predict, okay? Iowa, Minnesota, Purdue all win, okay? If that happens, we've got a three-way tie for first place. Iowa beat Purdue, but Purdue beat Minnesota, and then you've got Minnesota and Iowa playing next week that would help determine the Big Ten race right there. So if you sit back in July, August, and try to map out a way that five teams are still in the Big Ten West race, it would look a lot like this. Assuming you you're not going to go sicko committee and have all seven teams, you know, still in the in in, in, in the running to get to Indianapolis, right. something that's more competitively uh, realistic uh, would be this. Obviously, if Wisconsin beats Iowa, you just swap out uh, Iowa for Wisconsin in this situation because they beat Purdue. Um, and Purdue obviously would have still beaten Minnesota. So we have got a lot of compelling Big Ten West. Uh, football left with this one being the game that every that Big Ten West fans are going to look at at 11 o'clock. So to set that up, uh, 
on top uh, to expand upon that more, whatever, what do you, what are you looking at for the game itself? By the way, this is why I know we, you and Kurt have caught some crap. I caught some crap uh, because we quote unquote, talk about the big 10 West more. This is why, because typically heading into weeks 10 or the, the 10th, 11th, 12th game of the season, there's usually more than two teams like with a yeah. potential chance to win it. Um, you don't typically get that in the East. So that's just, that's one thing. So this game in particular, the one thing, the number one thing that stands out to me, Purdue throws a lot of interceptions. Illinois leads the Big Ten in getting interceptions this season. And these last couple games against Wisconsin's defense, which attacks the quarterback, Iowa's defense, which attacks the quarterback, and now Illinois' defense, which attacks the quarterback. Aiden O'Connell has, I still think he's a good quarterback. He has not looked good. And you have to be very precise against Illinois, or you have to be multidimensional and be able to run the football. I think Purdue can run the football, but for some reason there is a refusal from Jeff Brom to do that in certain situations. And I guess I just don't trust the play calling. I don't trust Aiden O'Connell. To me, that's that's going to be the story of this game. I know there's a lot of other factors. I know that there's going to be a lot of other factors. But to me, if Purdue can't throw the football, game, set, match, and it might be over early because just a few turnovers, that's all Illinois needs. They they have a very Minnesota-like way about them where they're, they can score more points in Minnesota, but they're very good at possessing the ball, grinding it out, wearing down a defense, and then just stepping on your throat in the fourth quarter. I mean, this is intriguing on many levels. You sit there and you say, okay, Purdue got run over by a physical team that runs the ball and plays defense in Iowa. And then a physical team that runs the ball and plays defense in Wisconsin. Now in comes Illinois, a physical team that plays, runs the ball and plays defense. So, and and, Oh, by the way, Illinois beat Iowa and Wisconsin, you know, so one would think by, you know, how, how this would work out competitively. They definitely have the advantage. Something's a little off with Illinois right now. Um, we saw it versus Nebraska. That's not a particularly strong defensive team. They were able to trip up Illinois' offense. Against Michigan State, again, not a particularly strong Michigan State defense. They were able to trip up Illinois' offense. I, I still think Chase Brown is great, but Something's a little, something's a little off there, and it and it's making me feel a little skittish if I'm an Illini fan. Do you think the thing that is off is he has to touch the ball 500 times a game in order for? I mean, I, I, I think he's down. wearing down. Yeah. Um, I think Chase Brown would take offense to that. You know, um, I think he's sure. a, physical, well, sure, yeah. a physical tough dude. With that being said, there could be some truth to it. Um, here's another thing: lessons learned for Purdue. Uh, they know they should have run the ball last week. Jeff Brom came out after the game, or maybe it was a couple of days after the game, and said that they they made a mistake not mixing the run in a little bit more. I don't know why that was. Conditions played into it, but I think it was more play calling and Iowa kind of forcing their hand. I think they will not do that <laughs> this week. I, I think it's going to be a more balanced attack. Charlie Jones will definitely still be their number one guy, but you have got to get to Aiden O'Connell. And I think Brom will to say, listen, I love you kid. And we love Charlie, but we have got to start finding some other guys. And if they're able to do that, we saw in Nebraska just two weeks ago, you know, like I don't think a completely dissimilar passing attack. Okay. Yeah. They were able to attack 
Illinois' secondary and have success in the air way more than I thought Nebraska was. And then Casey Thompson went down, and then that game is over. I just wonder if that quarter and a half versus Nebraska is a little bit more of a look inside what this game is going to look like, assuming, obviously, Aiden O'Connell and Charlie Jones are, are playing the whole game. Yeah, I, I guess I Purdue's offensive line the past couple weeks it just hasn't looked good, and I don't know how they're going to hold up against Illinois' defensive line. I mean, they get pressure. They force turnovers. They're very – and to me, when he's been under pressure, Aiden O'Connell's not been good. Like, I think a year ago you would say, oh, that – you're, they're getting pressure. That's no problem. He can get rid of the ball quick. They've got some receivers. Now it's Charlie Jones or bust. And that's been a huge problem for them. The other thing, and the reason maybe I don't see quite as many issues, I do think Chase Brown is wearing down a little bit. You can't take that many carries over the course of a Big Ten season, um, touches in general, and, and not wear down. But the thing I think that Illinois can do is suck Purdue in with the running game, and then they have a quarterback in the receiver's Pat Bryant, Isaiah Williams, they have those guys to be able to just create enough offense through the air and produce pass defense is bad. I mean, <laughs> Iowa lit up Purdue's pass de- or, uh, secondary last week. So I think that that's also going to be a factor in this game. So, so I, I'm i not saying I don't have complete I, there are some concerns about Illinois' offense. I just don't know that it's going to be a factor this week against a Purdue defense that has not been as good as I think we thought they were going to be after watching them against Penn State. Yeah, I mean, there are other available guys for Charlie Jones to throw to. You know, they got a decent tight end. They got a couple other wide receivers. Like, there's guys, they just got to, they got to incorporate them in the game plan a little bit more, and I think they will. Another thing, too, is there was a couple guys that went out of the secondary last week for Illinois. I think you saw that play in to how much success uh, Michigan State's wide receivers were having. Um, I am with you that if Illinois can run the ball at will and force a couple turnovers that that Purdue has been doing, game, set, match, I, I, I completely agree with that. But does per, does Illinois got their swag yet? Like, uh, is their well, swag still intact after a iffy uh, um, uh, performance versus Nebraska and then a really bad performance versus Michigan State? The other side of this is, Ah, history, man, and how it repeats itself. Isn't this where Jeff Brom yes. reinvents himself and the Purdue team rises from the ashes from the third or fourth time in the season? Like, it's it's the same thing every single time. Yes, it's on the road. That don't matter to Brom. He'll look like crap at home, great on the road, vice versa. You can't figure any of it out. I think there's lessons learned from last week. I think Illinois is playing with a little bit tighter sphincter now than they were in the middle and beginning of the year. I don't know, man. This is kind of a feel to it, covering these teams as closely as we do for the last five years. I've got Purdue 24, Illinois 23. So at 47 points, that's just an over. And not only do I have Purdue covering, I've got them in the outright win. So when I I want to clarify something I said when I say Charlie Jones or bust that to me that's been Aiden O'Connell like if he doesn't get it to him it's it's been rough sledding for him uh, doesn't look him off just targets him way too much the other thing is this is going to sound weird but uh, I would have felt way better about Purdue winning this game had Illinois won last week uh, because I thought that there might be a little bit more of an edge whereas Illinois might be on cruise control 
with a big lead in the Big Ten West. So I actually think Illinois gets its swag back. I think Purdue's going to struggle against a similar defense and offense that it's seen each of the last two games. I've got Illinois 29, Purdue 17. That's an Illinois cover, and at 46, that's an over. And Illinois covering that spread is my Amador double barrel lock of the week. All right. Now, the funny thing I was thinking of, this is a double hex Nebraska game because neither one Illinois lost their own one since playing Nebraska. Purdue has lost their last two since beating oh Nebraska. Boy. I'm correct. So somebody is busting the, the Nebraska hex in this game, whether they like it or not. Somehow this game's going to end in a tie. <laughs> Did both teams lose? Did both teams <laughs> yes. lose? Has that ever happened in the history of the Big Ten Conference? I do not know. All right, man. Uh, that was fun. You got anything else for me? That's it. All right, Big Ten fans. we got three full weeks left. You have got to do what you can to find Enjoy joy it. and find fun watching the Big Ten football this weekend because we are, we are almost out of it. I am Jeffrey the Greek. I'm not Big Kurt. This has been the Eyes on Big Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.